you do receive a complaint or a notification, there's that opportunity to improve. So reflection at that point in terms of what's occurred and how can I, what steps can I do now to make it better so that we, we can, I can show that I'm going to avoid a reoccurrence of something that's, that, that's happened. Welcome to the Dental Head Start Podcast. I'm David Keir. In this episode, we get to talk a little bit about and to the Dental Board of Australia or, or the chair of the Dental Board, and that's Dr. Murray Thomas. And this is, I find it really interesting because so many of us, especially when we graduate, we're a little unsure, a little bit concerned, I guess, that we might do something wrong or end up in trouble, I guess. And this, I found it reassuring. I found it nice to express some of those opinions from Dr. Murray Thomas and APRA, the Dental Board of Australia. But this was actually about and for a bigger purpose, and that's with one of our great sponsors, Dental Practitioner Support. That's dpsupport.org.au. And Dental Practitioner Support is something made for dental practitioners. That's all dental practitioners and their families, and it's a a helpline that you can call if you need someone to talk to, someone to help you get through a difficult time or challenge. And it is paid for by the Dental Board of Australia, but it is completely confidential. I really, really admire them for putting this together um, and I really appreciate both Dr. Murray Thomas and Anthony Denham for coming on. Anthony Denham is the Program Director at Turning Point and Turning Point are the um, the people or the, the team that manages dental practitioner support. Um, so, I really hope you enjoyed this and to be honest, I really hope that anyone out there who needs to know about dental practitioner support finds out and uses it when they need it. As we say in the podcast, you know, save the number in your phone, tell a friend. This is pretty important stuff, mental health matters. So, enjoy the podcast with Dr. Murray Thomas and Anthony Denham. BOQ specialists have worked closely with dental professionals for over 30 years and they understand the unique challenges that you, as a dental student or graduate, will face at the beginning of your career. I know they helped me early on as a dental student and they can help you too as they offer a private banking experience and tailor their products for dental professionals. I can say they have great customer service. I've lost my password that many times and they've always been able to help me. Nothing like the experiences I've had with competitors. So if it sounds like they can help you too, get in touch with them for a chat. For more information, visit boqspecialist.com.au slash students or check out the show notes for more details. TNC's fees and lending criteria apply. See boqspecialist.com.au for more details. So this episode, we have something pretty exciting. Um, We have a panel today and we're talking about a topic that's very important to me and obviously very important to these gentlemen. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Murray Thomas and Anthony Denham. Thanks a lot, David. Great to be here. So we um, obviously heard a bit about these gentlemen before we started, but we're going to start with an opener country. Dr. Murray Thomas, do you want to take away with that? Sure. Before we begin, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are meeting on the Ngunnawal people, in my case, in Canberra, for their continuing connection to land, sea, community and culture. And we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And we also extend that to those joining us today on this podcast. Thank you for that. And that's something that um, Murray brought up at the start of this and it's something that, that's important to me as well. So I appreciate um, that being the first time we did it with dental head start. So thank you. Um, Today, we're going to talk about a few things. First, obviously, you gentlemen, but also dental practitioner support. That's something that is important to me because I think mental health of us and the listeners have heard me say it before. It's it's so important. But why is it important to you? Anthony, why is this important to you? You've been in this field for a long time now. Look, I've worked in this area of service provision or health health support services for a long time um, with a background offering mental health and um, addiction-related services, things to do with problem gambling. I, I just think, I suppose one of the things over the years that I, I've really feel strongly about and have come to appreciate is the value that you can get out of a, a single contact telephone um, conversation with someone who is experienced and qualified, um, the value that that can provide to a person 
particularly when they're in a, in the middle of a particular crisis or um, when they're um, in a reflective moment and wanted to seek seek some help. Um, certainly can do a lot more than just provide referral points, which I think is how we used to think of these sorts of helpline services many years ago. Uh, so that's, I think, um, this service and others that we operate, dental practitioner support is, is, is one of our most recent services play a really important role in providing that um, general support across a range of mental health and wellbeing issues that people might not have anyone to talk to about or a bit reluctant to take that first step. And at a time of crisis, of course, you know, emotions and other things can be clouding our judgment. And so I can imagine that that would be one of the most useful things, someone giving you a objective um, response. And I think, I suppose, the other it, it, I see it as a package too. You know, there's the phone help, but also the the online resources and the social media pieces that we do are all part of that package as a whole that help provide information and connect people with others and maybe see that, you know, they're not the only person that's experiencing a particular stress or that it's in fact quite, well, you know, it's it, it's not unusual for someone to be feeling that way and to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get um, into that and the specifics of the service and other s- similar things. Anthony, how did you end up where you are? <laughs> uh, well, I'm not. I don't have a dental background. Just thinking because of this audience and and the people that that tune into your podcast, I, it made me think back to my days growing up in country Victoria, and we knew the the local dentist one, one sort of a one dentist town. But just sort of, he was a great guy and very connected in the community. Um, I remember going to the dentist, him always having a, you know, having a really good holistic approach in terms of talking to me about not eating too much sugar and all that kind of thing. And I think my dad, this is, I'm bringing around the, the, te- the teeth connection, but my dad and mum at the time, fluoride tablets were the thing. So, you know, I remember religiously eating fluoride tablet as a kid. And then the, my dad was on the local water board and they built a new water storage. And he was a very, I think through his connection with the local dentist, a really strong advocate for fluoride in the water, in the water supply. Um, so here's a long bow to draw. So that's my experience. Fluoride was sort of something in the in the water, if you like, that would help dental health overall. I suppose the, the dental practitioner support service is a bit like that for I said it was a long bow. It's a bit <laughs> like that is a bit like that for for dental practitioners. It's something that can sit in the background. It's there all the time, but can help support the overall health and well being of of all dental practitioners and students, importantly. Um, I actually think that, like, yeah, longbow, I give you that, but I think it's pretty fantastic. Really, fluoride's a bit of a safety net for those who may, you know, end up with significant caries and decay and, and I guess things like dental practitioner support are a safety net for us who need it at those times. What led you into the uh, the management side of healthcare? Is it healthcare was always on your mind? No, it's funny. I'm not quite sure how I got here, David, to be honest. <laughs> one, life, of the, right? one of the weird and wonderful parts, I used to work in uh, publishing many years ago and I in, in had a background in communication. So I suppose maybe that's why within health I lent towards some of the, you know, the online and, and sort of um, one-off communication kind of methods that could be used to support that. So don't come from a health background, but certainly in my role now, well and truly embedded in a, a large health network across Melbourne, of which Turning Point is part of. So that was my kind of, that's a very brief version of my history and how I got into this uh, this role. And like I said before, really, I think there's so much value in these kind of services that, that they can provide. Yeah, certainly. And um, I'm going to just go down a little further into that with you. Um, and Murray, we're going to get to you in just a tick. But you mentioned Turning Point. You've been with Turning Point for a little while. Um, Turning Point um, do a lot of addiction um, help for the community um, and some other things um, in, a, in a similar way, I would assume, um, to dental practitioner support. Um, is there a reason that you ended up there? And, and tell us a little bit about Turning Point. Again, through the, that communications work was what led me into to that organisation um, and worked in some research roles and, and different management roles. That's how I came into into that area. And I, 
Turning Point has a yeah runs a whole lot of helpline services. You're right, a lot of cross addiction, uh, also problem gambling, some support for mental health as well services. So run a, a large number of various helplines across across Australia. And we'd also set up, a, which we can talk a little bit more about later if you choose, a couple of years earlier, we set up a service called um, Nurse and Midwife Support, which provides a similar function for nursing and midwifery. So through that connection, that's sort of what linked us into into and with the dental practitioners and the board, and, and that's what progressed that project. And as you touched on before, with COVID being around, a, a great drive from the board to set something up as quickly as possible to support the dental profession through this period. Yeah, certainly. And I'm so happy that we're talking about it now. It's been set up for, um, I think, a little over a year now um, and starting to get some good traction. I hope the people out there who are learning about it now yeah, can save that number in their phone, do whatever they want to do and, and be exposed to it. And also, I just want to touch on, and we'll probably talk later, that the nursing and midwifery um, support service has been around a little while. Um, so it's not just a, a you know a fresh setup kind of service you've got experience and your team's extremely experienced but also very separate from dental board and other things which we'll touch on later yeah yeah that's a really important principle that that the, both those services are being built around yeah yeah certainly it's the confidentiality so um murray tell us um First question, why is this important to you? Obviously, the dental board and, you know, yourself being the leader there um, got this off the ground pretty early in COVID for obviously good reasons. But tell us, why is it important to you? Well, I I guess my driving ethos is to make things better. At some service, for me, it's making things better because I think that really accrues a lot of uh, benefits, not only for our patients, but for the public, but also uh, for practitioners. So... Part of uh, regulation has changed considerably over the last 10 years since the introduction of the national scheme. And so those would, some of your older listeners would remember each state and territory had their own boards right across the professions. And then we had a unifying board with the national registration and accreditation scheme. But part of regulation has really moved from rules-based compliance to really uh, looking at risk-based regulation and part of that is supporting practitioners to behave professionally. So I always say the greatest protection to the public are professionals behaving professionally. And part of this new wave is a kind regulation, kind in the sense that we understand that if a practitioner receives a notification or a complaint, it is one of the greatest stresses next to divorce, buying a house, the death in the family for that practitioner. I think there are some myths we can dispel later in the program about that if we have time to touch on it. But we understand that for a practitioner, it is quite a stressful time. And in Australia at that time, before we set up the, the, the Dental Practitioner Support Service, that there were some uh, states were well supported by their association, usually a dental association, but not all dental practitioners had it available to them, not all students had it available to them, nor could their family or friends or employer necessarily access a service to provide some support and help for those practitioners. So that was very much a driving force for the board to, to give back to the profession, acknowledge that, Unfortunately, when a notification occurs, it is very stressful for the, for the practitioner and that this is very important, that if we want to keep practitioners well, they'll continue to provide good service in the community so that they remain in safe practice. Yeah, it's something I heard someone say early on and um, something important to me, but we can only help others if we help ourselves or if we're healthy ourselves. Um, and it starts with the practitioners. So that's a fantastic point. We're going to talk a bit more about dental board and APRA, um, perhaps even a bit about regulation and the myths you're talking about, um, because I think it's something that's a bit of a grey area, uh, especially early in our career, um, feeling a little bit of perhaps fear even around that. And so I'd like to kind of dispel that and go through it. But um, Murray, how did you end up as chair of the dental board? Well, it probably started when I was a young teenager and uh, our local dentist, a familiar story, was always after my older brother to become a dentist. He later became an accountant. <laughs> but he ne- my dentist never asked me once if I was interested in becoming a dentist. So I quickly ditched the idea of being a civil engineer or a lawyer 
and explored the path of uh, either doing medicine, which is not unusual, or dentistry and landed on dentistry because at that time it was five years full-time instead of six years full-time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big decision point, isn't it, <laughs> at those years of our lives? So when I, uh, so I did my education in Queensland and um, in my fourth, or fourth year of a five-year degree, I wanted to get married and the only way I could do that is have some money as a poor student. And so I um, joined up uh, with an undergraduate scholarship with the, the Army and uh, I was meant to go in and pay back uh, one year plus uh, the time plus one year, which was meant to be two and a half years. So 23 and a half years later, I <laughs> I retired from the Army and then moved into private practice full time. And then from private practice, I, I got an interest in practice accreditation as uh, some would know it out there in terms of your, your practice being able to be accredited against the national standards. I got involved with a lot of work with the Australian Commission in, in Safety, Quality and Healthcare, but also was involved with the association at that point as part of the preparation to, to set up a, a practice accreditation uh, scheme, which is off and running and is one of the most successful um, programs in the world uh, for, for a voluntary program. Um, I was also involved then with the ACT Dental Board before the national scheme. And then when the national scheme started, I transferred over and was eventually appointed onto the national board and became chair three years ago. Mm-hmm. What's, um, what does your job involve? What's a day-to-day? So my real job is a full-time dentist in private dental practice. Um, so I'm very aware of the pressures that, for example, COVID have exerted on practitioners and their staff. And, and the patients and just the degree of uncertainty depending which state or territory you happen to live in but we, but we've all learnt in the last couple of weeks things can change quite rapidly so ACT was going a full 12 months without any COVID and now has been in lockdown for for the last six weeks um, so as chair of the board there are 12 members on the board there are four community members and eight practitioner me- members we have our formal meeting on a monthly basis. We do that for the last 18 months via Zoom and we've been able to uh, do that very successfully. We'd already uh, had moved to the idea of not having to meet in face-to-face in Melbourne with the attendant travel times and costs. So we've been able to transfer over to that. That's, um, yeah, absolutely. That's such an important point. You were talking before about some myths you want to dispel. I'd like to talk about some of those concepts and things now um, because a, a lot of people, um, I, I guess there's a bit of a sentiment, especially early on, that we're, we're going to do something and come up against the board and, and what's going to happen and we don't really understand um, and that makes us more fearful is what I'm trying to say. Let us know some of those things you wanted to talk about from your perspective that will help perhaps settle some minds. Well, what I would assure people of is the fact that really last year we only had 4% of practitioners who received a complaint or, or we call them notifications in the scheme or a cause of concern about a practitioner's support uh, performance. We know that really after it goes through the mill, about 70, 70% of those will result in a thing called no further action. Can I just emphasise the board is here to protect the public it's not here to protect the, the profession. But as a profession, we're in a great privileged position that you'll be judged by your peers. There will be a community member there as well, but it will be your peers who will make a, a decision about whether or not there is cause concern or that if you're posing a, a, a risk to the public going forward. And if we do need to uh, take some sort of action, we would look at the sort of controls available. For example, many practitioners have great insight that something's not gone as well as it should have and have taken steps to rectify that. So the board's looking for an explanation as to the circumstances and what is the likelihood of some issue being an ongoing issue and what sort of action has the practitioner taken to to remediate the problem. So... Every complaint does not end in people being struck off. Very few people are struck off 
you may have conditions placed on your practice if, you know, it might be continuing education that's required, might be a specific course. Um, there are some areas where you might have to show that you, you know, you need some sort of assessment done in terms of your clinical application. It might be a health assessment or something else. But it's the minimum restrictions that's required. It's not the maximum from the point of view of young dentists and students, um, and this is obviously a broad question, but is there any advice you could give that cohort, perhaps on topics that they do come unstuck on or or things to really consider? Um, I, I'm not sure. Any advice particularly for that group? Look, I think if, if people uh, reflected, the thing would, you, you need to probably understand that if a notification was made about you, you'd be judged as a newly qualified practitioner. You won't be expected to perform at the level of a, of a seasoned practitioner who's been out for 10 years, who's had the experiences and advantages of it. I think the thing for, for new practitioners, if it's possible, find a good mentor uh, around the place. And there are many practitioners who'd only be too happy to, to assist. And I know some of the associations have started mentoring programs. I think the thing is, is to understand that it's not going to be necessarily a catastrophic thing unless, as I've talked about, those very high-risk matters are involved. Then I think you really need some assistance. And again, associations are well-placed to provide that. I think a membership of your professional association has a number of advantages and that's around that peer advisory support that they offer. I think your professional indemnity uh, fires will provide you with a great deal of um assistance if you believe you've got issues. But what I would say is if you are subject to a notification, you should not believe that it's going to be a disproportionate response. The board will want to understand what's occurred and what are the prospects of uh, the public being put in, safety being put at risk. So I think at that time, if you do receive a a complaint or a notification, there's that opportunity to improve. So reflection at that point in terms of what's occurred and how can I, what steps can I do now to make it better so that we we can I can show that I'm going to avoid a reoccurrence of something that's that that's happened. So it's really professionals behaving professionally. Yeah, yeah. I think the the perception of something a, a challenge like having you know, a, a complaint or something and then using it, like you just said, as an opportunity to learn is a wonderful trait in any respect of our lives, but it's, it's quite relevant here. It's also reassuring, I think, for listeners. I, I'm now five or almost five years out, but, um, you know, the, in early stages of your career, you'll be judged as such. Obviously, that is within the bounds of um, behaving professionally, I guess, but, um, but we're not expected to be that 30-year experience um, surgeon at the same time. We had a little discussion prior and we were talking a little bit of, about impairment and and what that really means in the context of your registration. The reason it comes up, and we're going to now tie this back into a little bit about um, dental practitioner support, but there is this um, feeling within the community, particularly in the past, where if you were to say that you were struggling in some way, you may be deemed uh, impaired and, and, and not be able to practice. Uh, and where that line is is a bit blurry at the moment i would say is there anything you could comment on that uh murray i know there was something you're really passionate about uh yes i I think so people shouldn't confuse impairment with having a medical condition you know we all suffer some sort of condition including mental or emotional conditions but provided it's not or likely it's not likely to impair your performance as a practitioner. So if you if you find yourself in treatment and you're getting the necessary support, you shouldn't be concerned about seeking that support. Uh, I know mandatory notification um, amongst a lot of health practitioners is a red-hot button issue. They should not be concerned about that. Um, for mandatory notifications, and we can talk about that in a little more detail in a moment, for that to kick in, well, we're talking about really um, perhaps a serious situation. It's it's not the fact that I'm having a bad day at work this week and I've had a bit of a blow up. So within the scheme... Can you imagine I, how busy you'd be if that was the case? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, I'm a full-time private yeah. practitioner. <laughs> um, but health impairment 
in the scheme, you know, we have a glossary that you can go to the national law, but talks about a physical or mental impairment, disability, conditional disorder, including substance abuse or dependence. So clearly that's talking about misuse of uh, substances, alcohol and such, that detrimentally affects or is likely to detrimentally affect a registered health practitioner's capacity to safely practice the profession or a student's capacity to undertake clinical training. So these things really are at the serious end and it's acknowledged, for example, that tertiary students, university students are suffering some of the greatest stress in our society. These are usually uh, highly intelligent, driven people, stressed at the best of times, but with the interruption of studies and other things, this has really put the screws on people. Um, I think people would observe, practitioners out there would observe just our patients. You know, this long, chronic, drawn-out stress factor is just underpinning most things in their responses when they come to us at the dental surgery. So I think I always say everyone's a little impaired by COVID and it's the nature of we've really probably for many years not not faced having this long-term uncertainty that seems to change so quickly. Um, we, we have uh, positions that seem to change quite quickly within days, within hours. Uh, so what even when we think a pattern has occurred with COVID, it can quickly change within a week, uh, as we witness again in the last few weeks. And really, um, again, I'm just emphasising there's a difference between having a medical condition and being impaired. So if you have a medical condition and it's being well controlled and there is not necessary for the board to take any further regulatory action or place controls or restrictions on you, the board won't do that. It's only when those risks aren't being able to be managed to the public. An interesting uh, comment that might help expand is the uh, there was an op a blind optometrist who was registered uh, to practice, but he had actually changed his scope of practice that he that he that he wasn't doing the hands-on where you needed to actually visualise <laughs> and see people. It was to do with some administration and other matters. So he had modified his practice in such a way that he could remain registered, but he, he had limited his scope of practice such that he wasn't endangering the public. It wasn't us. So that's a good example, I think, of what I've been talking about. Yeah, I think that I love that story. I think it's um, it, it is quite funny, but it also makes a lot of sense that if you're whatever it is, the condition is not causing impairment, then there should not be excessive restrictions after that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Can I rephrase? Perhaps if someone was having some challenge in their life, perhaps um, severe anxiety, but they were managing that well and they were well in their day to day activities, that would have no impact with the board. Does that sound right? That's correct. I mean, there are some people who. It doesn't necessarily have to be anxiety. It could be some vision impairment or there might be a particular con condition where, um, you know, advice from their medical practitioner in terms of how they could go about their, their work and maybe, you know, choose to limit their practice while there was a particular period of time that they need to convalesce uh, makes a lot of sense because they're not rep in, in those circumstances they're not representing it a danger to the public. Again, professionals behaving professional, saying, what can I do and what can I do well? Mm, proactively managing it. And one of the things the service can help with, um, obviously in these kind of challenging times and even in, in more normal times is, is that whole concept of burnout and the pressures of work. Um, and this service, again, can really support I think, you know, getting some things off your chest sooner and and sharing and, and helping you, um, you know, address the th get clear about the things that are really causing that sense of um, burnout or questioning your next career step, that kind of thing. From my own experience, I think that's a really, really important topic. Um, personal experience with burnout perhaps um, this year and some personal challenges I've talked about, but um, 
recognizing it early and not getting yourself so deep into it before it's a problem so that, that you make a good point you know talking with the service as a dental um, practitioner support early um Mara, did you have any thoughts on on burnout is something you've seen or, or have an opinion on well look covid spe- precipitated that especially amongst some older practitioners where they've made elected to retire um in the circumstances, and you can well understand why. Um, it really is a little bit difficult if you happen to be in, say, Metro Sydney versus regional uh, New South Wales, similar in Victoria. But we've seen it in Western Australia for a short periods of time, but also South Australia and Canberra joined the party, which took, took a similar uh, line as Victoria in terms of restrictions on dental practice. COVID's just added that extra element. Just that change. I mean, I can, for someone constantly, you know, having to be on top of what the current practice limits or, you know, requirements are. And um, so some, for someone that's got their own dental practice, I, I mean, in the same, I can relate to that being incredibly challenging. And, and it does link to the burnout piece as well in terms of just that, you know, that, that, that focus on administration and you know, adjusting to those sorts of requirements at different times. And I've, I mean, that's true of all health. I can, I mean, I certainly feel it. And I know in Victoria, we're going through a range of, there's a range of changes that are hitting the deck right now. And, you know, it is a very, um, it does, it's exhausting really. And I think, you know, I think acknowledging it is part of the remedy really. Acknowledge it early and, and take steps, whichever way that needs to be for you. Very, very good points. I don't know if it links. I, mean, I was just, when you were talking then too, I saw an article um, and we noticed too um, people making those, as COVID, people making those career choices to res- retire or move on if they've been, it was a good, it was a sort of a, a prompter to probably maybe make that decision sooner. But there's a bit of um, talk around, around, well, there's an article I saw recently called, um, uh, as the great resignation comes to Australia, but uh, finding in the states, you know, um, that there's a huge churn and people um, leaving their their traditional or their the role they job they've held for a long period of time and doing other things. Um, so maybe that'd be a good thing for new graduates. There might be a few more. Um, I don't know. There might be some more gaps in the out there in in terms of uh, roles to be filled some big shoes to fill yeah, out there, I'm sure. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. And there's certainly restrictions on overseas qualified practitioners entering Australia. Uh, there's been some special arrangements being undertaken for nursing and medic, uh, for doctors, but not so for, for dental practitioners at this point. So that's, again, being part of the workforce, and that's why... I seem to put an optimistic view on it. Um, you know, it is in a living with COVID environment, but, you know, the, the traditional sources of supply of graduates are, are really just now domestic. It's no longer international as well. Mm. And considering a lot of the domestically trained dentists are international uh, students and often planning to go home as well. So very relevant. It will be an interesting couple of years in the employment parts of uh, dentistry. Ripe Global is an incredible resource, especially in these times where travel is a little bit difficult, but we're also realizing it's not always necessary for our education. Especially when we're starting our career, we just want to get as much as we can. And a platform like Ripe Global's membership is perfect for that. But Ripe Global is a lot more than that. They've got the fellowship in restorative dentistry. And while it's already started with the posterior dentistry course, they've just released the anterior dentistry course, one where you're going to learn about composites, aesthetics, isolation, and indirect work as well. One of the hardest things to do in dentistry is the single front tooth. And this course is aimed at helping you improve that skill. Find out more at ripeglobal.com or check out the show notes and you can get 30% off a membership, all from the comfort of your own home. Now, if we were to get a notification from the board, perhaps the first call would be dental practitioner support. So, <laughs> um, let's let's talk a bit with Anthony there. Um, we, we've touched on it a few times, but just give us a real quick, what is dental practitioner support? What is it good for? How do we use it? Um, so I think a 
couple of general comments to start with. I think you know Murray's talked, um, for, um, you know, focused on the the importance or the role, the function of the board around um, the, keeping the public safe. I think these services offered they they do contribute to that through a, I think a, a primary aim of people coming forward to talk about whatever they're wrestling with sooner than it getting to the notification stage. So uh, um, what we see and we really encourage as part of our service, it's completely anonymous. We don't force anyone to give any identifying details. Um, so it's very open. It's 24-7. Um, people can really see what we're on about through the website. Um, so uh, and I think the other – so that it's – We'd want to see people coming forward sooner. We can provide um, information. And if, I mean, if we have callers who, from people who have been notified, we can give some general advice. But I think the important thing that we're aiming to do is support the, the broader and general health and well-being of, of the, the person that's calling the service or the concerned other for that matter. If, if someone's had a concern about their family member who was a dental practitioner and um, what that might mean would encourage them to call as well um, so I think that's that's um, you know I, I see our role as kind of a really where we want to be capturing people's attention is is sooner um, and talking about strategies and how people can work with that and I think I was found that in conversation around well, the piece in the, the conversation um, and the comments of Murray around, you know, um, and the scope of practice and how people can work with work with it doesn't mean that they have to be all or nothing. And it's certainly not our area of expertise. But to me, it's an example of, um, you know, where you can get some general. Let's step back from this. Let's look a bit at what the issues are and some of the things you might be able to do. Um, uh, and I think. You know, I'd really underline that independence, and that's part of the idea of it being anonymous as well, obviously. Um, we're very conscious that there's no perceived and there is no actual link between, you know, the service that we operate and the notification process so that we, we can overcome a bit that fear of even talking about it if you've got concerns about something that might be happening for you. In your example, whether it's someone who's experiencing experiencing you know high level of anxiety they've had some some and they're going through treatment um i think some of that sort of um so that's a, a role that we can play in terms of that really set um separate support but obviously you know we're here today and we're talking quite openly about the fact that it is is funded by the board i think there's sort of two parts to that yes it's very independent um we don't keep records on everyone that calls um but it is a great, and I think Murray touched on this. I think um, it is a really um, concrete way for the board to show that they they care about a lot more than than you know that the stuff that people um, 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 whose anxieties have arisen, you know, where it's around notifications. That's the function and keeping the public safe. But there's also uh, an upstream, if you like view from the board that says let's see if we, how we can help people sooner and provide them greater access to services um, that will support them. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's pretty clear that they, they care. They've given up their trips to Melbourne. Um, it's really <laughs> generous actually and I think it's <laughs> for a very good cause. Um, give us uh, some ex examples perhaps of when someone might call dental practitioner support um, and, and what who do they talk to and then where does it go from there? Yeah. So we, the people that they talk to are um, people that are, um, have professional qualifications and also are familiar with working in, in what we might call that brief intervention and via a telephone kind of context. So they'll be most likely um, a psychologist, nurse, social worker um, background um, we found that in terms of the people that are within um, the dental practitioner group, um, we find that in terms of the concerns people are calling about, um, 
decent percentage of those are mental health related well-being uh, I think with um, with COVID and particularly in Victoria which is where I'm um, calling in from today um, there was uh, you know lots of changes in terms of what what practitioners could do at any particular point in time and what sort of services they could provide. That obviously has an impact on um, income as well um, and creates the stresses associated with that. Um, but also, um, and we found this is consistent with um, nurse and midwife support as well, but um, quite a decent proportion of calls um, around um, general workplace kind of concerns, you know, um, and uh, whether that's feeling like being a bit harassed at work or they're feeling, you know, I suppose um, that they've got some uncomfortable situations in their workplace. So that that's sort of been a, something we didn't expect to see as much of, but um, um, we have. And it sort of makes sense because it's a really separate to the workplace. kind. Of, there are things that can be very hard to raise with your work colleagues. Um um, in the first instance. Um, I think that's a highly relevant one. Um, and also, I guess nursing and midwifery, often in a hospital setting, uh, bigger uh, groups and, and all the dynamics with that. But then I think from a dental point of view and dental students and graduates going into private practice often in a small practice, it can be quite a challenge if you have an, you know a, a challenging relationship with one out of four staff. It's, it's like a high percentage of the staff. So um, that, that sounds quite relevant to me. And one of the things we did in the in the preparation for the service was um, acknowledge that they they are very different groups and 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 there is some there's particular things about um, um, dental practitioners and the context that they work in that are most often quite different to the setting that a nurse or midwife would be working in. Um, so you touched on that example often in much smaller kind of um, workplace settings. Um, so, so that's um, that's a bit of a, a picture of the kind of um, calls we get um, at the moment. Um, in terms of this podcast, we're probably seeing around three percent of calls coming from students um, and recent graduates. We'd we'd really like, and a good part of being on this podcast today is really get those numbers up and get this the word out there to 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 that group. Um, uh, dentists around 40% and then sort of a split across hygienists, prosthetists around 8 10% each, that kind of thing. Out of, I don't emphasise, out of the data that we have. So one of the, the things about having a very anonymous service is that we're not really going to pressure people into disclosing information um, and scare them off the call. Our approach is really to... to um, make it as open as possible and um uh, can i touch on um just out of curiosity obviously if that comes up it is then something that is obviously noted down which it would be because it's relevant to the case um but those stats then actually become a useful thing later on so like what i'm thinking is if you're someone who needs a service and you're happy to share that your role you're a student or you're you know early practitioner it actually helps um the dental practitioner support then target the services better um so yeah it's not a bad thing so we we don't we don't push for it but the more data that we can get the better in terms of planning planning the service in the future and looking at whether it's particular information that goes onto the website or that we might emphasise in podcasts or um, it really helps the planning for the service with the data that we have and we use, yeah. Now, this is a phone service, um, but and it's a first point. Uh, you've used the word brief and, and some other things. So it's a point of call where if we're in a, a time where we need that quick piece of advice or whatever it may be but it's not an ongoing service so what is the general flow then afterwards depending on the kind of call uh it would be well to state the obvious it depends on the nature of the call but providing people with suggested referral pathways so um, if they weren't aware of it talking to people in say in relation to mental health about where they can Go, what they should do in terms of getting referrals from their GP um, to get a, a mental health care plan, that kind of um, advice. Um, might be some reference to some financial counselling services if that was a particular part of the presentation. Um, again, um, with workplace um, concerns, we'd try and find some avenues. Again, it could be through general um, 
um, psychology services or some just some general advice about how to approach that issue in the workplace. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's sort of, um, I think, um, what someone really described it to me well once and they'd done a bit of, they did a PhD on it in fact, but they talked about telephone counsellors in our setting, kind of getting people into the right zone. And and that sort of, when someone calls, it's often when they're really uh, in, in crisis. It's really, they're sort of a breaking point. But, uh, but what she sort of suggested was you, you kind of got to, one of the arts is getting the person in the right zone. And that's, you don't want to, you don't want to make them feel so like, so predominantly focused on everything's okay. It'll be okay that you really, that they sort of, lose that um, sense of having to do something, but you don't want the person to be so um, um, escalated and, and up around the lights that they're not able to engage. So part of that opening of the call is really important to trying to bring that that caller into a space where they're, they're, they're open and hearing and engaging with the advice and, and keen to follow up and appreciate what they need to do as next steps. I can imagine it would be such an art. And something we talk a lot about on this podcast is communication with your patients, your team, um, your family, everybody. Communication is a bedrock of everything. And so I imagine your staff would be pretty skilled. Um, I wanted to touch on something which you mentioned, you know, you don't want to be up around the lights. Emotions in this time of crisis are really a big part of it. I mentioned it before and perhaps I'm talking because, um, you know, in personal experience, uh, just recently I've been through a really – challenging time some of the listeners would know what i'm talking about um and in that time of crisis uh, you know i was very well supported my family myself very well supported by social workers and other people um and that's so critical because you are emotionally at this point where your brain is not working normally and so i think that's why like when you mentioned some of the referral pathways it's it's using this service in that time of crisis can just maybe set your path a bit straighter uh, and, and you know, take some of that subjective emotion out of it. Um, so that sounds very, very relevant. So if people can feel like, you know, put down the phone and feel like the, the, the issue at hand, the issue is more in hand and they've got some tips that they can do straight away and they've got some ongoing steps in terms of how they're going to address it, I think that's, you know, a really good outcome of the, of the contact. Um, and certainly people can call back. Um, we, it's, you, you know, um, we'd encourage that when people need support. So if it's two o'clock in the morning and someone needs some some support, do that. It's just that, that you won't, we don't book you in with the same counsellor. Um, you'll be speaking to whoever picks up the phone. So we don't really, we don't really hold people as a, a case, if you like, um, but certainly would encourage to, people to contact the service whenever they need it. I also understand um, in speaking with some of the people involved with dental practitioner support that a, a lot of people um, might call perhaps on the way home from work when that challenging things in their mind. Yep. Um, and then you just mentioned perhaps at 2am when you can't sleep um is there any kind of what's the peak time <laughs> look it probably the um it's pretty well spread over the week um but we tend to find across services um pushing out into later into the day um uh, and that, you know, I mean, certainly, obviously, we get less calls overnight than we do during the day. But um, in terms of the example I've just provided and you've, you've um, repeated, um, they can be really important, you know, often the really important ones as well. Yeah, yeah, I can well imagine that. Now, um, there's a few messages uh, we'd like to share um, regarding the the service and it's like these things we often see and you know and the communication how you're exposed to our audience um is really important because you don't know you need it until you really need it um and something i'd like to share kind of front run you sorry about that but um yeah, no, <laughs> great message which is You've save read the literature, the, that's good <laughs> <laughs> well save the number in your phone like uh, i think it's such a simple thing i just wanted to make sure that gets out there because these things we don't know we need support until we do um you know i didn't need, know i needed support until i went through a really challenging time and um we're all in that boat so um obviously that's pretty key like just save the number uh, do you have the number on hand <laughs> so the number is one eight hundred three double seven seven hundred 
There we go. Obviously going to be in the show notes. And I'd also um, suggest, sorry to cut you off there, David, but just obviously I think that's a really important message. Put the number in your phone. You might need it one day. And the other would be just go and have a look at the website and see the resources that are there and it'll give you a flavour for what's there and um, what you might be able to use. And that's www.dpsupport.org.au. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Another point I'll make is follow the social media. This is all just relevant points because we are so connected with our phones or social media, whatever, and these things that pop up regularly actually become the things that we you know, internalize. So, they provide some the content that can support you way prior to ever needing to actually call, as do some of the other amazing parts of our profession, some indemnity, the associations, the board. Um, so, it's all they're all relevant um, people to follow. Is there any other specific messages you want to get across regarding the service or things you want to say? Because remember, we're talking to the, you know that younger generation of dentists and student, perhaps to encourage it to them to use it or, or um, to be more prepared in the future. Look, I suppose that this general uh, this sort of links to the COVID stuff, and I, and I think to you know the our next generation of health professionals generally, um, but it's really about I think you know breaking down that stigma around, you know, mental, what we might call mental health issues or worries and sharing that and the importance of sh- sharing those somewhere and getting a, getting a, having someone to listen to you. Um, and I think COVID's, because we've all, all experienced it at the same time at different levels, depending on where in the country you are uh, and anywhere in the world you are. But I think, um, we all completely understand that we've all got some this outside of work pressure on us that's making, no matter where you are, some kind of um, having some kind of impact on your general health and well-being, whether that's mental health, physical health, financial position. Um, so the the positive spin I would put on that, in some ways, is that we're getting more used to talking about openly about things that are impacting on our our well-being, and I think for the the new generation of um, dental practitioners carrying that in their work, being, you know, tuned in and open to, to that being sort of part of their practice and their engagement with their, with their patients. Mm, it's definitely a shift in the um, sentiment um, of the profession, in my opinion. Uh, I'm also someone who talks about it a lot, so uh, maybe I'm biased, but um, I think it's important. You know, if you if you're sharing your how how you're feeling, you realise that everyone else feels the same. Yeah. <laughs> you're not actually that unique. You know, you just yeah, talk yeah. about. It. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, what I'd like to add and just emphasise that you don't have to have a notification to call the service. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's <laughs> pretty weak. I know we concentrated on that a little bit with me, but bearing in mind, only four percent of practitioners received a notification. Um, so it's those other stresses. You know, it could be gambling problems or relationship problems, either at work or within families. Um, it could be other pressures which are bubbling through um, addiction of all, all forms from, uh, you know, um, legal or illegal illicit substances, things like that. So, you know, don't, don't get it in your minds that it's just if I get a notification. It is there for you today now on white 800 377 Take the advice, put it in your phone because you'll have it when you need it. And, uh, you know, so I think this well-being is something that's well-recognised, uh, more so than when I was a new graduate. Um, so, I, But I can still remember my days of a new graduate that... Uh, you know, it is. Uh, it it it's a, can be a scary world at times out there because you're finally there flying solo at times. Oh, it's um, a really good point. What helped you get through your early years, Murray? What uh, any pieces of advice? You're obviously in the army, so like a I was pretty a different. Myself unique, a little yeah. too much. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Not a bad thing. (laughs) Look, what I would say, because, you know, Australia has been very fortunate in in, of its COVID experience with graduation of um, health practitioners, but in particular dental practitioners. So if we looked at UK, they've been delayed by up to 12 months, so having to do the whole year again. And I know that there are some concerns in people's minds about what does COVID mean for employment for me? Is there going to be enough work? Is there going to be a job? 
all indications from my reading of the information, there is a tsunami of work, not only in dental, but right across. You'll often hear people talk about orphaned healthcare. So this goes from cancer treatments to, um, you know, breast examinations to dental checkups uh, to all sorts of other medical procedures. It is true, especially with older the older population, many have consciously delayed seeking seeking early treatment. That will be come with a price to be paid for the, for in terms of their health. And everyone has known that after COVID spikes, that there will be this great mass of medical and dental work that will need to be addressed. So um, I think the future in terms of employment is quite sound. Um, and I know just during our bouts of when, when between lockdowns, uh, that there is an enormous amount of work. And unfortunately, the kind of work that, that, that I've had to perform now is a lot more removal of teeth and things like this so, because things have gone way past. We're 18 months into it and things have gone way past where you could do something to salvage the situation. So there's no shortage of work that's going to be required, including preventive services um, for practitioners of the future. I would reiterate that in my experience in my region, obviously a small anecdote, but very busy when not shut down. Um, very busy, and I've been fortunate in rural uh, New South Wales or regional New South Wales, um, minimal shutdown. But um, so, yes, jobs will be there, I believe. But then the question becomes the experience of those graduating clinicians. Uh, that whole concept aside, but do you have any advice for them knowing that, yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough? We're not going to lie about that. Mm. Any advice? Well, look, I think what you should do is have the self-confidence that if you've graduated from, from a program, a dental program in Australia, you are good enough where good enough is a very high standard. So you would, you would not graduate if you had not been able to complete the professional competencies. So the Australian Dental Council, who does the accreditation of programs, sets very high standards and although it's been disruptive, COVID, um, I'm absolutely positive in my own mind that the graduates coming out deserve to be graduated and will be self-practitioners as, as uh, early starters in their professional career. I absolutely love that. I've heard someone say in the past, like, we, we need to realise that we're, we're, you know, we're pretty switched on to get to the end of a dental degree. So don't put yourself down now. You, you absolutely can do this. You just, yeah, you, you, you might need that mentor to be a little closer or ask questions a little quicker. Um, but other than that, you'll absolutely be fine. Um, I'd like to wrap up with a couple quick questions. Um, and we have kind of touched on these areas we often have, but just put anything in you feel is relevant. Um, the first is a question I asked a little earlier around mistakes of new practitioners. Um, is there anything, and the reason I ask it is because if you can identify mistakes that are common, people can think about it and try to avoid it. So is there anything you gentlemen see early in careers um, that people should be cognizant of? I think, you know, be very mindful of our communication, not only with patients but with your fellow teammates. So, you know, uh, when we talk about leaderships or teams, as I say, there's no I in team, but there is a me. <laughs> and, and I think uh, my view would be is a lot of problems can, arrange, uh, can arise where communication's been poor, either through misunderstanding. And, you know, it is quite challenging in, in Australia today. It is very much a multicultural society. We have many people who... who whose language is not their, English is not their first language. Um, there are interpretive services. But also when you're dealing with colleagues side by side, it's that mutual respect and also talking with each which are, with each other to actually know your scope in terms of where there are areas where you can have improvement or where there might be areas which are challenging. But you can work through in a professional way to come up with a plan much the same Anthony was talking about, come up with a plan in order to improve your practice because, you know, it's a, it should be a worthwhile, lifelong career and you've actually been given the skills at the start of your, your, your career 
to have that lifelong learning, that self-reflection, and in order to adopt new technology, new techniques, the new, and absorb the new knowledge that surely will come along at, at such a rapid rate. And I think that prepares you well and will keep patients safe as you go forward. Mm-hmm. And look, as I you know, openly acknowledged at the beginning, obviously I, um, I have no real uh, idea what it's like to be a recent um, graduate um, in terms of the, the dental profession, but uh, I think it was interesting. Well, one thing, I, the theme of around communication, obviously the service that we have is something, that, a place that you can go to to help talk through some of those issues and maybe come back and have those conversations if people are... Um, finding relationships within a practice challenging. Um, and then as Murray was talking, I was thinking maybe he should come and do a couple of shifts on the service. He did a really talk through some of those workplace concerns calls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the um, solutions would be there, but <laughs> very relevant. Um, I always ask this as well. And again, I know I'm kind of touching. I'm just trying to squeeze all that juicy um, advice out of you, gentlemen. And and Anthony, obviously not dental background, but you, everyone has their life advice or their advice. But if you could teach that graduating year, the year that's about to come out, one thing, uh, one thing you think, like Dr. Murray Thomas, it could be a very specific clinical tip or it could be anything. What's that one thing you would teach each of those graduates? Look, I, look, I think the thing is it acknowledge Acknowledge that you can't do everything on the day. You may not, you, you, you're competent, but you may not be proficient. So take your time, take as much gems from other colleagues who are available, but certainly try and seek out an older, more experienced practitioner who will be able to give you some very good life lessons because they've lived it and experienced it. And, and in terms of, communicating with patients or managing treatment plans, um, you can really uh, learn a great deal from them. And also, I can't emphasise enough, you know, dentistry is best done as part of a team. So that includes your receptionist, your dental assistant, you know, the dental hygienist, the dentist, the dental procedures, all those people that go, the technician who's making the appliances. And so, you know, when I talk about good communication, that's talking with your colleagues, talking with those people who are supporting you, you know, in your practice, um, that will pay great dividends going forward for you. Yeah, fantastic point. Part of the team, your specialists as well, you know, like you said, and if you need to call on them um, or if you don't have the answer, they may be able to assist you in that situation. Um, A really, really good point. Anthony, do you want to add anything there? I think in the context of the conversation today and, and talking about dental practitioner support um, is, the, um, is the tagline for the service really, your health matters. And I think, you know, in a caring, in a profession that's about caring for others, it's a bit like, you know, that cliche of the landscape gardener's front yard's always the one that looks the least well kept. And I think, you know, this, our service and the, the, that advice would be, you know, focus on your own well-being as well and make sure that you've got that in check and ultimately that makes you a better person a better clinician um, and better outcomes for the public come from that absolutely i, I really like that um response and I, I think in the end one of the things i try to touch on as well is um we are dentists but we that's our job and we have a whole life around that as well and we need to keep ourselves healthy and well in every aspect to enjoy all parts of our life, including our professional life, but obviously our family and, and social life and everything else as well. Um, dental practitioner support, one eight hundred three seven 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 hundred. 377 I'm really happy we've been able to share this content and obviously the listeners will hear um, little bits and pieces from us um, in the ads on these podcasts as well because I think it's such an important message. I really want to say thank you both um, for sharing sharing your time. Yeah, thanks for coming on the Dental Head Start podcast. Great. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it and I appreciate your interest in the service and um, I'm sure it's another great little piece in promoting the service more broadly, which is really important to us, obviously. And and thanks, David, for, for offering us this opportunity to, to communicate with your audience. And look, we, the board would be more than happy to come back and expand on some of those things we touched on very lightly to help people understand what the regulation is all about and how it's there to protect the public, but at the same time to support practitioners in 
practicing safely, remaining in practice and practicing safely. Thank you again. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional, and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists. <laughs>